Mia, this Sunday uh, there will be a launch of the Yuliri 50 Years of Resistance book. Uh, this is the, uh, the incredible true story behind one of the longest-running campaigns and battles in our state to stop uranium mining. For our listeners, if they're not familiar at all with, uh, I guess, with this issue, and I guess we'd hope they're at least somewhat familiar, but can I start by just asking you to, I guess, explain the, the context around, uh, I guess, this book and particularly the struggle uh, to stop uranium mining in Yuliri. How did this all begin and, and, you know, what really makes it so significant? Yeah, thanks. Um, so it all kind of started in 1972, so over, just over 50 years ago, um, when a company called Western Mining Corporation found uranium at a place called Yuliri, which is in the northern goldfields, about four or five hours north of Kalgoorlie, just outside of Waluna. Um, it's a beautiful kind of plains area just south of the Montague Ranges and home, it's a dual area. And but lots of Wangatha um, family groups and, and language groups know that area because it's a really significant and sacred site. So it all kind of um, started with... You know, and this comes through in the book is when anthropologists started to go out to that area and talk to the community, and the community started to realise that something was afoot um, because of the reaction around uranium, and they started to wonder, well, what what's such a what's the big deal about uranium as opposed to gold or nickel, which you know had been mined in the area for a long time, and. So when they when that community had had realised what uranium was, of course there was already an understanding about that place and and why it needed to be protected. Um, but when anthropologists explained what uranium was used for in the modern world in terms of technology and weapons, their community, you know, kind of was really resolved that this area should not be touched, both because of its significance culturally and, and the sacred places there but also because of um, because of how that material could be used or misused and the impact of that so yeah the book has really kind of brought together little bits and pieces of story and it was kind of curated or edited in that way that everybody had a place to tell their story from really different perspectives so there's a, a story from one of the anthropologists that was out there in 1976 there's lots of community stories about what happened and that connection to the story and the old people and, and that resistance from the early days in the 1970s. And then um, stories from the kind of more more recent battles. So um, WMC sold to BHP and then BHP kind of ended up just really cleaning up the site because of the trial mine that was left, um, which, you know, left tailings unfenced, unmarked with, you know, some pretty radioactive materials there. And then BHP sold to Cameco, and that's kind of the last decade has been fighting against this Canadian uranium giant Cameco. Um, and so there's lots of stories that have come out about different parts of that, that struggle over the last decade. Um, yeah, and and so it's a pretty pretty mixed bag of, mm. of stories and people contributing and, um, yeah, speaks mostly to the importance of unity mm. and diversity in a campaign. Um, that's really 
grounded in culture and country and working with First Nations people, driving forward, you know, what they want and how they want it. And as you said there, there's obviously significant cultural, um, you know, value to, to this area for traditional owners. But there's also, you know, many sort of environmental reasons why people have opposed mine site in uh, uranium mining in Uliri. Uh, I believe that, you know, below the surface of the proposed site, there's a 17-kilometre-long aquifer and labyrinth of caves that's uh, home to 100 species of subterranean animals. Can you tell us a bit about that and, and you know, what some of the uh, potential, I guess, environmental impacts would be, both in the local area and then, I guess, you know, uranium mining in general can be quite disastrous when it comes to, you know, environmental uh, problems and issues? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, the uranium story is, is one that we've seen play out at uranium mines across Australia with, you know, broken promises, leaks, spills, accidents, and then most importantly, a failure to rehabilitate. And that's what we saw in the early days when WMC did the trial mine at Uliri and left behind radioactive waste. And then, you know, that really becomes mobile in the environment. It's more easily ingestible. And uranium, unlike many other things, is radioactive. And so that has a huge, um, poses a huge threat to workers and also community, animals, plants, and the whole food chain. So there's, you know, big issues there, which is why, you know, the environment movement and the nuclear free movement have been really supportive of their campaign um, to stop uranium mining. But then when the actual environmental impact statement came out, it became clear that there was this incredibly diverse and rare community of subterranean fauna species. So subterranean fauna are little fish and beetles, and even scorpions and spiders, and so the uh, stiger fauna live in the underground water and aquifer, and the troglofauna, so the little scorpions and spiders and things, they live in the air pockets in these kind of um, small caves underground. And so through the environmental impact statement, it became really clear from all of the evidence that about 15 species would be made extinct if the mine would go ahead because the uranium kind of occurs throughout that whole um, that whole underground area of water and air pockets and, and in these caves. And so if you remove their habitat, of course, you know, they've got nowhere else to go. Um, and so the Environmental Protection Authority in Western Australia recommended that the projects not be approved because it it couldn't meet some of the key principles of our environmental laws, which is that you shouldn't, you know, make things extinct. Um, And, you know, intergenerational uh, equity and the precautionary principle. So, yeah, what, what we found really disturbing through that process was that the, all of the environmental processes said, no, this mine should not go ahead it doesn't fit with our environmental laws. And then we had an environment minister come and approve the mine anyway. That was Albert Jacob under the Barnett government, something that he did in the in the dying days of the Barnett government. And we challenged that in court with three Dewar women, um, Vicky Abdullah, Shirley and Lizzie Wanyabong, and the Conservation Council. We all you know, bandied together and um, took that to court. And what was really, really disturbing... Um, was that 
the courts found that, yes, a minister can override our Environmental Protection Authority and the appeals process and approve a mine despite it being at odds with our environmental laws. Um, and so the Conservation Council of WA has been really advocated for law reform. Um, so, yeah, Yuliri was significant in, in that it poses this unique threat to this very unique species, um, but also that it highlighted this big flaw in our environmental laws. Certainly, and it wouldn't be the uh, the first campaign to, I guess, you know, point out that the EPA can sometimes have uh, very little power when it comes to uh, to stopping these sorts of projects. I, I guess looking at the the political and, and economic circumstance currently, after this Labor government was elected, they did promise to to ban uranium mining, and uh, and thankfully they also said no to Chemico when they wanted to extend their approval. Uh, I, I believe that uh, the latest proposal from Chemico to mine at Uliri expired in January last year. Where are we at, I guess, in terms of um, uranium mining in the state? It, it, has the threat completely disappeared or is there still possibility of uh, uranium mining, not just in Uliri but elsewhere here in WA? Yeah, thanks. Um, so when Labor came in, they put a, a ban on uranium mining, but it's not a legislative ban, so it's kind of just a policy ban that they're not going to allow any new uranium mines. What they didn't do was get rid of the four approvals that already existed. So Yuliri was approved, Kintyre up in um, the East Pilbara, Waluna just close to Yuliri, and Mulga Rock, which is just outside of Kalgoorlie. So those four mines were kind of snuck through the gate and uh, they were approved. But three of them had their approvals expired, like you mentioned, with Yuliri. So there was um, a condition to the approvals that said they had to substantially commence mining within five years of their approval. And so Kamiko failed to do that at Yuliri. They failed to do that at Kintyre. And Toro Energy failed to do that at Waluna. So those three mines can't go ahead. But if we get a new government that's pro-uranium mining, it would be as simple as a stroke of a pen and they could be operational again. Basically, the companies would just seek an amendment to their, their approval um, and that's, that's fairly straightforward and there's a you know, pretty... Um, it's pretty frequently done in the mining sector where if you, if you don't commence, you just seek an amendment and it's, you're kind of up and running again. So we're pretty concerned about that and there's a new part of our environmental protection laws that give the minister, gives the minister the ability to withdraw those approvals completely and so that's what we're seeking from this government now is to completely withdraw the approvals for Yuliri, Kintyre and Waluna, which means that if there was a pro-nuclear government in the future, those companies would have to start from scratch. They would have to refer it to the EPA, they'd have to get a new assessment, it would be open to public input again. Um, so, you know, at the very least, we, we want this government to use those powers to level the playing field at those, at those three sites. The one that we have to watch and the one that we're really concerned about is Mulga Rock, because they did, um, they were able to get the government to sign off that they had substantially commenced. We argue that they did really destructive land clearing that was premature, unnecessary, um, but not substantial. 
it was they cleared uh, less than five percent of the total area that they intend to clear. So we said it's damaging, but not uh, not substantial. Any anyway, the government has let them go ahead, and they're now proceeding with secondary approvals. Like they're getting um, different management plans approved. They're getting works approvals through, um, and we've seen them start to to do a little bit of removal of the topsoil for the overburden before they get to the actual uranium. Um, So we're really worried about that. Um, But they still don't have the finances to develop the mine and that's that's a good thing. Um, They are looking at a new new finance study, a definitive feasibility study, and that should come out in mid-2024. And then depending on on the outcome of that, we might see them really ramp up. We might see them get funding uh, and we might see them try to establish a mine. So we're, you know, we're tracking it, we're watching it, we're trying to rally support um, with our allies to try and do anything we can to, to prevent this mine from going ahead because it's, yeah, it's in a significant area. It's home to the endangered Sandhill Dunart along with some other um, vulnerable species and it's also um, the Upali Upali spin affects people's country um, and they've expressed many many times that they don't want a uranium mine there Look it seems like there's uh, many many reasons then to continue the, the fight and the campaign to ban uranium mining here in WA and perhaps everywhere in uh, at least you know in Australia in particular in this when it comes to uh, what we're talking about here Uh you know, and, and in that sense, you know, acknowledging the struggle in Ulyri and and you know the victories of that campaign is really important. And as such, uh, this sounds like this book is uh, definitely worthwhile reading. Uh, I believe there's a launch event happening this weekend that folks can get along to. Mia, can you tell us all about that and you know how people can find out more? Yeah, sure. So yeah, this Sunday night. 19th of March at the Rooftop Movies in Northbridge um, from 6 o'clock. We're having a book launch and there's some music playing as well. We've got Deli Stokes from the Yabu Band and Selfless Orchestra releasing their new single, Yaliri, um, because some of the members of the band went out to to the area and walked with First Nations people and have written a beautiful track um, about that. So, yeah, so there'll be some music the books will be available for sale and some of the First Nations people, um, Vicky and Shirley and Lizzie, will be there on the night um, along with some of the Upali Upali and Spinifex women that are fighting against the Mogul Rock uranium mine. So you can come and, yeah, hear about the story to protect Ulyri and about the new struggle that we're, um, that we're facing at Mogul Rock. And you can buy tickets at the Rooftop Movies website.